You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. To the Doctor's Lounge, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week we come back to you with the kinds of things that doctors are talking about in doctor's lounges all over the country. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Our uh, foundation is dedicated to the doctor-patient relationship and for healthcare freedom for all Americans, and we uh, uh, stand for uh, really doing the things that are necessary to protect everybody's health care rights, and you need to stand up for those issues yourself, and we teach you how to advocate for yourself and for your family. Go to our website, www.d4pcfoundation.org, and read about the things that we're doing. I think that you'll agree with most of the things and the positions that we take, and we need your support, so please donate generously, $5 or $5,000. No amount is too little or too big, and we really need to have your support behind us so that we can do the kinds of things that we're doing like this radio show every week. Um, As uh, most regular listeners to this show know, we often, actually most of the time, talk about policy issues or political issues affecting health care. There are issues that come up that uh, doctors are talking about other than politics and policy among themselves and and that involve actual health care things. And and today's show is uh, no exception. I wanted to uh, uh, bring to you a timely topic, something that is in the news that we're uh, hearing about um, almost on a daily basis today, which is um, the measles ep- epidemic and the uh, issue about uh, childhood vaccination, which is becoming a major flashpoint in this country. And, uh, and I think that it's very important for those of you who, are, who listen to this show who are doctors to know what's going on. And most people who listen to this show, I believe, are, pro- are not doctors and want information and, and want to be able to be prepared to answer questions about this very uh, contentious issue. So, so uh, today's show is going to be dedicated to that. And in order to be able to um, give you a perspective different than mine, actually more expert than mine in this regard, I've invited a very, very long time and dear friend of mine into the show, Dr. Chip Harbaugh. And before I bring him in, I just want to introduce him. He is a uh, pediatrician in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's um, more than just a pediatrician. He is uh, probably one of the best pediatricians in this very, very uh, large market, and that's saying a lot. Um, I I knew I liked him when I read his bio, and I saw that he was a a who's, a Virginia Cavalier, and where my money's gone for a number of years. So uh, he's he's uh, his his brain is wired correctly, but 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 Chip um, has um, run one of the um, largest, one of the best pediatric practices in the Georgia area. He founded 
um, the largest pediatric IPA in the country, which has uh, flourished and become the centerpiece for one of the largest uh, cooperative pediatric efforts involving a children's hospital and a uh, and a metropolitan area, um, and. Uh, he has been active in the American Academy of Pediatrics for many years, um, serving on multiple committees, including the uh, liaison to um, to manage care um, and uh, uh, the uh, and and uh, laboratory improvement for the CDC, among the many other accolades and and jobs that he's done. He's probably the uh, only guy who I know who is, is uh, busier or has done more things than I have. So, uh, uh, Chip, welcome into the doctor's lounge. Well, thank you, Hal. You're very generous. <clears throat> I think you've done more than I have. But well, I together know. we're trying to make a difference for children. Well, I, I'm not sure about that, but I think this is the Mutual Admiration Society. So I really appreciate you taking the time from your very, very busy practice to come in and share some uh, um, wisdom, some information about this very important topic that we're going to talk about today. So every day in the news, we are hearing reports about a measles epidemic, a measles crisis. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to start out by, by explaining to our listeners is, number one, is this an epidemic or a crisis, and uh, why is this happening? Um, you look back pretty much in history and how we've treated diseases, whether it be typhoid or smallpox or things like that, and immunizations have really been in the forefront. And if you can immunize a population to 92 to 95%, you will avoid diseases. Uh, measles really sort of was eradicated, we thought, in the, the Americas in 2000. And now it's come back because uh, sort of with the MMR scare back in the about 2000, 2004, uh, people started stopped vaccinating. They don't believe it anymore. It's almost like you need disease around to scare people to realize I could avoid this disease if I vaccinated. Well, if you don't see the disease, well, I don't need to do this anymore. So we've had a lot of people... Complacency. It is. It's very complacent. It's the same thing with freedom. We take our freedom for granted. Uh, but people have died in our country to gain that freedom. People before us have gone and used vaccines to get our health care back to where it should be. So you need to immunize and you can prevent disease. So um, the um, for, for many people who are out there, um, who are our age, our vintage, everybody got immunized when we were children. And that stopped um, only recently. And I, and I think that you mentioned just a moment ago about the scare. So the scare actually started in uh, England in uh, 1998 in an article that was published in The Lancet by uh, Andrew Wakefield. Andrew Wakefield. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, will you elaborate a little bit on yes. that? And I've got some other information to share to fill in some gaps. So, yeah, Andrew Wakefield um, had about 12 patients, not 1,200, not 12,000, not 120,000, 12 patients. Uh, and he did a study and found uh, that eight patients uh, had had autism. So, again, 
eight out of twelve, uh, and he sort of confirmed that maybe that there was a link. So, unfortunately, uh, after they published this article, they found out two things: that uh, he, the person that helped recruit him, was a lawyer who had a lawsuit against the vaccine manufacturer. Oh well. Other things they found out that he had a competing vaccine uh, that was single M measles, single mumps, and single rubella. Well, that was a conflict also. So it took about 10 to 12 years of, of research and multiple studies, um, and they found out it had no relation. The sad thing during those years is people actually vehemently said, I know my child got autism, or people would hear of stories. It's almost like a... He said, she said, my neighbor, this, I heard a friend, and they absolutely believed that, that autism was caused by MMR. So you would have to talk people off the ledge. Of course, it's been disproven now, but he's been stripped of his article. The 10 of the 12 authors have abandoned him. He was stripped of his medical license. Uh, so we don't know where he is. Oh, but. I know exactly where he is. <laughs> he is in Austin, Texas, and he is heading a anti-vaccine effort that is centered in Texas, and it's very ripe for this because Texas is very libertarian. There's a very, you know, anti-government streak in Texas, and yeah. so he it's like a Petri dish for what yeah. he is doing. Yeah, in Texas, the Houston, Fort Worth, Austin, and Plano, Texas are one of the top sit uh, those are the top cities for vaccine refusals mm -hmm. and so this is a big effort and just to expand on what you mentioned just a moment ago chip about the conflict of interest so when wakefield was recruited um, by this attorney richard barr he was paid beforehand just to do the research and to provide the information to Richard Barr, he was paid 435,000 pounds mm -hmm. in order to um, uh, it, for, the, for the work that he did to, to do this. In the, the British Medical Journal in, uh, in uh, 2011, they uh, actually came out with the whole story about, about the uh, MMR, Scare and how this was a preconceived scam to um, to discredit the MMR vaccination, sue the vaccine manufacturer, and then um, make a lot of money in the lawsuit representing the plaintiffs um, whose children had. Um, uh, autism and the tens of thousands of other patients who would jump on the bandwagon in a um, in a class action lawsuit. Not to mention his his um, competing interests in the other vaccines. But how sad is that? And now in England, <clears throat> over the last uh, twelve years, uh, mumps and measles and rubella have all come back and. Uh, deaths and really a lot of side effects and not only in england but you look at a call in washington state right now 50 cases in january alone uh it's amazing remember in california with disneyland uh the measles outbreak there and usually you had uh, also in oregon those states that do not immunize uh you will see a rise in this and the same thing happened with smallpox uh, smallpox has been eradicated. The only place it is right now is in the uh, lab in the CDC and somewhere in Russia. So neither side will destroy the smallpox because once you do, the other side has it and you can have warfare. It was Wepo used weaponize to, it. Weaponize it. It was used in uh, 
the Civil War. It was used also in the Revolution. So disease warfare is is out there. And unfortunately, we're doing it to ourselves and our children. So, Chip, you, you um, mentioned Washington. And this is, this is why we're talking about this today, because this is an issue that is in the national news almost every night. You hear about the the Washington outbreak, which is actually in Vancouver, Washington, which is right across the river from Portland. It's a yeah. it's a suburb of of Portland, and, and Portland's one of the hotbeds again of anti-vaxxers. Exactly, and so, and you know, people might think, well, this is just an outbreak in in Washington State, but this is actually in in researching this topic for today's show. I, I was just absolutely blown away by the fact that this is a much larger issue than just the Washington outbreak. And just to throw out some numbers, the largest outbreak in the United States actually is in New York, mm-hmm. in the Hasidic Jewish community. Right. And um, in since um, and that's two, this year, this last year, and this year since 2018 <clears throat> up until today. There have been over 210 confirmed measles cases and almost 40 in New Jersey. And um, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but it goes to our global community where people are traveling and it is a, a very um, communicable disease, which I want you to get into in a moment. But... Um, the in the in the orthodox in the extreme ultra orthodox Jewish community, it's been linked to twenty seven hundred cases in Israel. In twenty eighteen, there were sixty five thousand cases in Europe, mostly in the Balkans and the Ukraine. So we're gonna just go ahead and talk more about that. And I want you to hold the thought that you have when we get back in the next segment on the Doctor's Lounge. So stay with us. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Doctors for Patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Doctor's Lounge. Today we're talking about the measles epidemic and the problem that we're seeing 
around the world, but particularly now in this country with uh, the anti-vaccination movement. My guest is Dr. Chip Harbaugh, who is the uh, uh, president of Children's Medical Group and uh, founder of the Kids Health Kids Health First IPA here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is the one of the largest pediatric IPAs in the country. Um, he is an expert on on uh, childhood uh, immunization and and communicable disease. And uh, we were talking in the last segment about how this is such a worldwide phenomenon, and because of our um, shrinking globe, this is a problem in a non-immunized population that is going to become a, a greater problem uh, moving forward. And it's also you have certain pockets, as you mentioned, the Hasidic uh, Jewish population in New York or Bronx. Uh, also, the Amish population in Pennsylvania was found to have an outbreak. Uh, there are certain communities around, I think, a Somali population in uh, Detroit. So you have these pockets where one person can come in, and if you no one's immunized, it spreads like wildfire. I want you to talk about that in just a second, but I just want to say there are basically, you know, in, in looking at this uh, issue, there are really three groups of, of individuals, three populations who are the culprit for this whole movement. It's the it's it's first of all the libertarians the ones who don't want to see any government involvement the government telling them what they can and cannot do to their children then there are the conspiracy theorists who who um have fallen prey to the wakefield phenomenon about autism or other bad things happening because of immunizations and then finally there's the group that are um, just against putting things in their body, not because they're afraid of autism and not because they are um, libertarians, but because they're they're in fact in the Oregon group, you know this this anti-immunization movement is is uh, you know in the same conversation as vegan or gluten free. It is sort of sad, and I'm uh, I'm probably more in the libertarian. I do not like be controlled by a government. I like freedom. That's what our country is founded on. Uh, however, I would also defer to the medical community. If I am a physician or a doctor, I would believe the CDC is there trying to make our health better for the entire nation. Same thing I used to tell patients when I was trying to explain about vaccines. Uh, sometimes the more educated ones are the more difficult ones because they think they're so smart that they can, you know, they have a medical degree. Dr. Google. Dr. Google. I know how. I'm smart. I don't need this, and I don't see any disease out there to do it. So I would say is um, same thing. I always, as you go into a, a plane, you look to the left, there's the cockpit. And, boy, I would love to fly that plane. That would be so fun. I look at the, about 150 switches up there, and I go, man, I would have no clue. But in essence, what I say to them is you're trying to climb in that cockpit and you want to be the pilot, but you don't have a medical degree or a pilot's license. But you want me to stay over here in the co-pilot seat while you fly it. When you start crashing, you want me to pull you out. No, trust the medical doctor. I went to medical school to help and cure and make the world a better place. Trust me on that. If you can't, then 
you shouldn't be flying that plane. Maybe you should find somebody who will let you fly the plane. Exactly. So trust the medical community. Uh, we we want only best for our children and the health of our nation. So measles isn't such a bad disease, is it? For the most part, it isn't. You you know, it's spread by cough, congestion. You get a runny nose, red eyes, just like you would a cold. Uh, but then you get a rash on it, and unfortunately, sometimes you can get oh, encephalitis. Oh, wow! So that's an inflammation of the brain, and you can have death from that, or side effects, or neurological side effects, uh, paralysis, stuff like that. So. Yes, in cases you can have some bad outcomes. In fact, uh, you know, sometimes 50,000 people used to get infected. You'd have, you know, 500 deaths in a year. It's like deaths from measles? Oh, no, no, you don't. It can be a bad disease. And once it starts spreading an unimmunized population, or now if I have a high disease burden, even though you may be immunized, it may be 10, 12 years since you last had yours. It could spread to you if I have five people around you that have measles and you're presented with a high disease burden. So if you are immunized as a child, do you lose that immunity? Over time. And that ha- same thing happened with smallpox. You know, most of the people who come at got smallpox, it had been 10 to 15 years since they had had that vaccine. Even as a pediatrician, I had to get vaccinated with the MMR again when I was in residency. So you need to have that boost every once in a while. If, if you're exposed to if you're a, exposed. a high volume or if you're in an at-risk population. Correct. But if everyone has herd immunity, 92 to 95% of the population around you is immunized, you're going to be fine and the population will be fine. An interesting thing that I came across that I didn't know is that there is a potential for the measles virus to re-emerge in older patients after a period of latency. That means that you could get your, if you had measles as a child and then you recovered from it, you think, oh, you're, oh, you're out of the woods, everything is okay. But much like what happens with um, rubella, and shingles, mm-hmm. which is which can also in some cases be life threatening if you are sick, if you are on chemotherapy, if you have a decreased immunized state. What they found was that with measles, that if you that you can get a neurologic problem later in life, that's a hundred percent fatal. And it can. It says in the neurological tissue and some in the gastrointestinal tissue. So, yeah. So let's say you have it there and your body's fought it fairly well. And then all of a sudden you get pneumonia or uh, in a bad accident and you really, your body becomes stressed out. Yeah, it can come back. So don't play with it. Same thing with polio. Well, we'll talk about polio and other other diseases about vaccination just a bit. But before we leave measles, I'd like you to uh, um Tell us as a pediatrician, because you see parents who have newborns or parents who are interviewing you because they're going to be having a child and they want to uh, listen to you and see whether or not they they mesh with you as a uh, parent and a, and a doctor. So I know that this probably comes up on a regular basis. What do you say to parents, and and uh, and and uh, how do you deal with the parents who push back? 
Uh, it has not been as much of an issue in the last five years since the uh, Wakefield debacle. Uh, I think once I realized it was sort of fake news, it was much about nothing, and so I think that has helped. Also, once you have an outbreak in Disneyland, that helped. Like, oh, well, there really is a disease out there that could cause problems that made people wake up. So I think people most part vaccinate or want to vaccinate now. Um, we have always, our group has been 72 years in existence. And what we would do is, uh, in the past, we would say, you know, even when we seemed like we had three heads, if you didn't want to immunize, unfortunately, our practice would not allow you to be there. Because if you're in our, our waiting room, sick or well, that you know that everyone in that waiting room has also been immunized. So in essence, you're not going to have five people there that may be bringing in measles because they're not there. So we do it for their safety. But I would also say it's like it is <clears throat> almost criminal in the fact that you have a child who's been entrusted in your care and you have everything to do to prevent them from getting meningitis, pneumonia, anything like that, and you choose not to do that? Um, do you think I, that's child abuse? Uh, well, if they get meningitis and they, they have brain dead or uh, pneumonia from that, yes, I think that is. Has that been ever, do you, to your knowledge, has that ever been a, a case where they've tried to uh, hold parents liable for death of a non-immunized child from a preventable disease? No, not in the United States, although in Britain they did have, uh, if you did not... Uh, when the smallpox epidemic was going around in the 1860s or something like that, that if your child was not immunized within the first three months of life, that either was a fine or prison time. Whew. So, so in this country, um, I know that they immunize babies for with measles, um, uh, mumps, and rubella (MMR) right. at 15 months. Uh, 12 or 15 months. What, the, and the, and what what is the you know the problem? that we're seeing right now are that parents in some of these communities, which I'm going to have you share in just a second, um, are afraid to bring their children, their, their newborn children outside because in some communities, like in Idaho, 10% of the children in Idaho in kindergarten are not immunized. Yeah. So there, there are certain pockets, and you've mentioned some of the Sims. Uh, actually, uh, Salt Lake City, probably Utah, Idaho, Detroit, Michigan, Kansas City, Missouri. We mentioned the ones of Phoenix, Arizona, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington. These communities, uh, actually, if you look at some of them by the first two years of age, you get down to the MMR percentage of only 24%. Uh, you, when you start dipping down in the 80, 85, 88%, you still will see outbreaks, and that's what we're seeing in Washington State right now. So this is, this is the slippery slope. When, when does it become the role of the government to step in and require children to be immunized, to go to school, um, to uh, you know, just to be out in public in California after the Disneyland outbreak, California, which is the you know the epicenter <laughs> of of uh, leftism, they passed in yeah. their legislature a, a law saying that every child needed to be immunized. And actually, now they have one of the higher immunization rates because of that. Um, so I think there, you would hope that the population, we have enough common sense that uh, if you 
just like from a parent parental standpoint. If you as a child behave well and make good decisions, you're given more freedom. As a child, if you misbehave, the government needs or the parents need to step in and do that. So uh, what we need to try to figure out is there's certain limitations that uh, certain states, there are actually 18 states that allow non-medical exemptions. So maybe starting to cut loopholes down there so it's only medical and start to work on those states. But hopefully we as a country see resurgence of disease and know we can prevent it. And that's, that's a great segue into other problems and vaccinations. So stay with us. We'll be back in the doctor's lounge in a moment. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back in the doctor's lounge with my guest, Dr. Chip Harbaugh. We're talking about measles, the measles epidemic and outbreak, the um, the uh, issues surrounding vaccinations and the, uh, the, the problems with... Uh, uh, people who refuse to vaccinate. Um, just uh, we we left off talking about uh, you know the the fact that uh, we we have uh, you know just just a a tremendous opportunity to eradicate diseases, and we are almost taking a step backward because of complacency because we've done such a good job of actually eradicating diseases in in this country that were only seen um, in underdeveloped areas in the world and and they're making a resurgence because of of ignorance or of uh, conspiracy theorists or people who don't want to uh, have the government involved in their life and there is a role for uh, um, a, uh, a public health, um, uh, effort to to try to protect people, and that's what I think we're we're talking about with vaccinations. and And Chip, one of the you know we we're ta- we focused on the measles, but but there we've really um, seen in our lifetime a um, a successful um, effort, a successful um, result in in the the vaccination. Uh, 
uh, development for for very serious diseases. Why don't you share that with everyone? Yeah, so I hate to say my age, but I turn 60 tomorrow. So you got to feel birthday. Thanks. So it's uh, been in practice about 30 years, which is uh, a lifetime, I guess. But I, back in residency, uh, I would see meningitis, both hemophilia influenza and strep pneumo. And these are in zero to two-year-olds, two to four-year-olds, or eight-year-olds. And it was very frequent. You'd see admissions uh, probably once or twice a month. In meningitis, you'd see bad sequela from this. Uh, you would see uh, meningitis in the teenagers, and that's what we have a vaccine for now. And, and we was, see that in colleges now we still. We do see that. And I tell people, if you, you're lucky, and most of the time from there, as typical is for meningitis, especially in the teenager, is you come in, Late afternoon, sore throat, fever, everyone does a strep test. You go home, they go to sleep, and I hate to say it, you're lucky if you wake up and don't wake up, you're dead. Because if you wake up, usually out of the four limbs, the uh, meningococcal vac- I mean, disease will probably take two or four or three of your limbs. And I remember seeing that in the ICU. Someone had lost three limbs to this disease. We don't see that anymore because of vaccines. A lot of times, the anti-vaxxers, well, we've had clean water, clean this. It really doesn't. Uh, You look at Venezuela right now with the breakdown of the government. They don't have vaccines. Measles is rampant there. But going back to the... And and measles is spread how? uh, Just by contact like you would a common cold. Runny nose, cough, congestion. And it can look like a common cold until you see other things. And the other diseases like like uh, you know uh, meningitis or or um, or mumps or rubella, and mumps rubella you can call you know cause sterility and uh, other complications diphtheria you can actually have a pseudomembrane in the back you have not only pneumonia but death so these are very serious diseases that we don't see anymore. I want to talk about one that we don't see that probably is the most serious that was just an absolute nightmare for the United States, and that's polio. Polio is probably one of the best stories for vaccines. Uh, the polio virus was sort of isolated back in the 1900, uh, but then we didn't really know how to prevent it. But in the 1950s, it became a huge, huge outbreak. Um, in just, I think, 1952, there were 57,000 cases of polio. And you go, well, what does that do? Well, out of those 57,000, about half or 21,000 cause paralysis in children. So that's a heck of a lot. Now you go, and the, what even worse? People didn't know how it was being spread. They didn't know, and they were sending their kids to school or the playground or the pool, and they were coming home within a week be paralyzed and have, it was absolute fear. So then uh, Salk and Sabine had a possible vaccine. And there's actually a little film clip about how Philadelphia, they had an experimental vaccine. They didn't know, but it was such panic that I didn't want my child, and I don't know where he went to get uh, polio to get prep. So there was a line all the way out around the building and down the block just for the opportunity of the trial vaccine. And now we have it, and people are refusing it. It's just absolutely insane. And the most famous person in, in the United States to contract polio, of oh, course. Roosevelt, FDR. FDR. And, uh, um, you know, this is something that uh, we, we um, you know, he didn't want people to know that he had polio. He tried to hide it. Yeah. and uh, But uh, he, he couldn't uh, walk without without crutches. 
a lot of other presidents. I think uh, Lincoln had typhoid. I mean, there's diseases that have been out there, and it, do, it really infects people and gives them long-term disabilities. So, so with with polio, you know, I think that one of the concerns is that um, you know there was an outbreak last year of childhood paralysis, and yeah. people were people were um, comparing it with the polio outbreak, and and when that happened, I was wondering, and I, I didn't see one single report about their immunization status and whether or not there was any um, link to not being immunized and, and um, a majority of these children. I don't think it was linked. I think it was an enterovirus uh, or an adenovirus. Isn't an enterovirus? That means an, a virus that you get through your gut, but that's polio virus. It is. So it's very similar, and it's also it scared the living daylights out of people. Even, of course, I think it was in the uh, mid-Atlantic north, northeast. It was clustered, right? Clustered. And, but it was no one really knew when or how they got it, uh, and it actually caused enough uh, consternation that I would get questions about it in the office. Lola, do you know anything about it, what's spreading? So even there was only like uh, 10 to 40 cases, it was enough to scare. And so, but the immunization status wasn't questioned on that. So where, I want you to put on your American Academy of Pediatric hat. And I want to uh, ask you, where do they stand? Why? I mean, I know what their official position is. Why are they not more visible? Why are they not out there? Making people um, aware that this is something that uh, is is uh, putting their children at risk and putting the the population in general at risk. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics is uh, an amazing organization, um, and it, it has always promoted the health of children, sometimes to the detriment of actually protecting their members and keeping them, you know. But they want to protect children. Uh, they don't want to be seen as dictatorial or mandating. They encourage uh, immunizations. Uh, it used to be that uh, their policy statement, and to make a policy statement, you have to make it through all 32 committees, and it takes three to five years. The policy statement was uh, if a child was or parents decided not to immunize a child, they were asking you to keep them in the practice because they felt by keeping them in the practice, the interaction uh, education over time would actually maybe sort of wear the parents down and you know, where instead of they didn't want you to kick them out of the practice. Uh, they have sort of altered that in the fact that now they say, well, we understand if you do want to for the healthier other children. So they are maybe gently prodding immunization, but they don't want to see as dictatorial on that. But they do promote vaccines. They see the health. They have all the committees that are, they see the difference and night and day with vaccines. You know, one of the things that people get concerned about, and I, I think that this is, you know, something worth um, just mentioning, is people are uh, the, the ones who are paranoid, the ones who are um, who don't have a uh, a political or philosophic bent, but are paranoid. They're they're afraid that if they give their child a vaccine that that is going to make them sick in, instead of instead of giving them immunity and so i think it's important to mention about 
this is not live viruses. These are attenuated. Yeah, they're attenuated. In fact, I, I wish I had the statistics better in my mind. So uh, back when we were children, we had vaccines, probably a third of what there is now. Uh, but the technology was such that the antigens are which part of the viruses or bacteria, and they take bits and pieces of cell wall or viral particles, but they don't inject the entire virus or bacteria but it's enough to sort of so the body senses that and can make antibodies to it enough to fight in the future but the antigens back then it was like you had to take huge chunks i think there were let's say a third less vaccines but you had like 10,000 antigens that were injected into the body now the technology we have three times more vaccines but the number of antigens is like in the hundred because now we can take specific pieces and tailor it. You can tailor it better with the technology we have. So even though you get more vaccines and get better protection, you have less things going in your body. But it's the right ones. So, just to pull some, pull this towards public policy or 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 reality, is that why? Um, vaccines are so expensive, or why are vaccines so expensive? Uh, well, you figure that uh, the research and development and the years of uh, studies that take to go into it uh, take a lot, and you will have some vaccines in the pipeline that will not make it. You have the flu mist, and this is where, if you look at the CDC, uh, if there are problems with vaccines, uh, the CDC will do studies, and then there was the thing, flu mist, it's back on the market. But three years ago, the CDC did a study, and they found that it was one of the four strains, the H1N1, there are four strains in the flu vaccine, 2A and 2B. One strain of the A, the H1N1, had was doesn't cause harm, but was ineffective. So from the conspiracy theory, it's like, oh, well, just go ahead and give it. The CDC says no, uh, and studies by the manufacturer showed it was very good. And other studies said they were fine. It was just that one study. But the CDC said, don't give it. No one gave it. That company, AstraZeneca or MedImmune, lost millions of doses and millions and billions of dollars. Uh, also, remember, there was a rotavirus vaccine mm-hmm. back around 1999, 2000. Uh, out of a million or so doses, there were 11 cases of intussusception. And that is where a bowel loops up on top of part of another bowel. No deaths, and there are 11 cases. This is a bowel obstruction for the Temporary bowel obstruction. And you'd give an enema, and it pops right back out. But 11 cases, they pulled that, and that company had to go back and R&D again, research and development, and then about 10 years later, brought it to market again. So if there are issues. Now, also remember the diphtheries, the DPT? Used to cause a lot of high fevers back about 20 years ago. Again, thought there was an issue, and they came back and now have an acellular. So it's not the pertussis. They've actually specifically cut down so you don't have as much a reaction. So that this does, that, does that reduce the efficacy no. of the of the vaccine? It actually has more efficacy and less side effects. Okay. So our public health, the CDC, and if there are issues, they will resolve it. MMR, again, once they're found, no need to pull that one. So you will have ongoing research and efficacy. So vaccines cost a lot uh, and a lot to develop. But it's also amazing. Think of the, and there's sort of the what uh, return on investment of the vaccines, the amount of disabilities and illness and hospitalizations that you can prevent as a society by not having meningitis, pneumonias, bacterial infections, viral infections, encephalitis, and death by caused by vaccines. So it's 
been shown to be worth it up front, paying for the vaccines, to have not the societal burden of illness on the back end. So the going back to cost, yes. the these are still very costly vaccines for young families who are struggling and uh, who are absorbing a larger percentage of their health care burden from a from a cost standpoint um and i'm not sure exactly cost right now but let's say uh a vaccine uh let's say the mmr is like uh 80 to 100 dollars and it is a lot that's but again if i'm preventing three diseases uh just an er visit alone that's probably 150 to 400 dollars mm-hmm. so by one and just how many times could you catch that disease again and again meningitis let's say and that's the hib uh which you get at two four and six months of age and later on as well or the h flu then again you not only decrease the chance of meningitis hospitalizations icu uh er visits uh then if you really have a bad outcome you're going to have to have physical therapies they might be able to walk again or pt so small maybe a little seeming costly up front but on the back end, how much you save, not only in money, but your child's health and well-being. As a devil's advocate, how many, how many immunizations does a child receive between birth and five years of age? Uh, individual doses? Or in a fully immunized child, about how many different vaccinations uh, do they get? Well, you get them at uh, two, four, and six months of age, you get the hepatitis B. So I would say probably, that's off the top of my head, uh, 15. And that seems, for some parents, I think that's what they focus on, and they don't look at the the benefit risk. They just look at the volume going into their child. So we're going to break for um, our final segment in just a moment, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Uh, I, I'm your host, Dr. Howe. <coughs> Excuse me for my raspy voice. I was just choking on my, on my own secretions from immunizations. But... Um, 
the uh, the show <clears throat> has been brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, and I just want to uh, remind everybody to go go to our website and support the uh, the efforts of of our organization and the things that we do, um, so that we can uh, continue to bring to you these great programs and uh, all the other um, projects that that we are doing on a regular basis. Um, we. We uh, just gotten through a uh, amicus brief in Iowa with certificate of need, and that has been uh, really a big issue around the country. And we're going to be uh, talking about that in upcoming shows. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Chip Harbaugh, and um, we've been uh, having an interesting discussion about uh, uh, communicable diseases that are preventable with vaccinations, which are really being uh, <clears throat> thrown under the bus by many people and and uh, with with no good reason and uh, and putting people at risk um, needlessly so talk, you know, this show would not be complete without bringing some kind of public policy or or uh, political bent into a show and right now what we're seeing <clears throat> Um, on a on a daily basis at our southern border is an influx of people coming in from the third world from underdeveloped countries that are bringing with them diseases that have been for the most part eradicated or well controlled in this country in the past people who have been allowed to come into this country legally have had to show immunizations or um, or uh, proof that they've had certain diseases and um, and with this this crisis that we're seeing at our southern border it's putting everybody at further risk isn't it uh, yes not only in the southern border when you have a lot and probably mainly from Central and South America as we already mentioned Venezuela with the collapse of the government there they've not been able to afford vaccines because their economy is collapsing uh, and then we've seen uh, the measles and communicable disease spread to not only Brazil which is a better developed country but also we know in Central America Honduras, Nicaragua their public health and immunization rates so in essence even though your heart breaks for these children and these the people, uh, by not having them immunized, you are having a huge influx of diseases, most likely you know, ones that you know, not as much polio, but measles, mumps, rubella. Smallpox? Uh, probably maybe not smallpox. So hopefully not that, but polio possibly. But uh, definitely uh, probably haemophilus influenza, strep pneumo, which would be meningitis and pneumonia, blood infections, uh, and definitely measles. And measles, again, remember we forgot to tell you that every year 200,000 people in the world die from measles. So it's uh, still out there causing death. So if you're bringing an unimmunized population into, if you want to say the southern border, you're going to say that. But also, remember our airports. Atlanta Airport's the busiest airport in the world. And you're one air flight away from... Everywhere. Everywhere. Miami, another flashpoint. People flying in, it just takes one person or disease to start an epidemic. And so we are very porous with our travel. Uh, but on our southern border, I think that's where the mass Big of risk. It, it is just because of the sheer numbers. Right. And you talked about weaponizing diseases. 
you know, with uh, smallpox in the U.S. and Russia owning those those uh, cultures in laboratories, you know that we we hear politicians talk about about dirty weapons coming in across that uh, southern border, but but also diseases in, in, can be brought across that that porous southern border and wind up in some of the at-risk populations that you've mentioned around the country where there are immuniza- immunization um, uh, under, immunized. under immunized populations as much as 25% in some populations. And that's exactly, especially when you have a population by itself. But you mentioned smallpox. So in the two wars, the re- revolution, uh, the siege of New York, and uh, also the siege of Ontario, the Continental Army, the U.S. troops at the time fighting the British, did not have any uh, immunity against smallpox. Mm-hmm. And they and, and Native Americans, they brought they the French and Indian War, they did that as well. And so you killed off most of the troops, and that's why they had to retreat from Ontario. Also in the Civil War, six hundred and sixty thousand deaths. In the war, two thirds were from communicable diseases. It's an, that's astounding. So it's like one third is from war, two thirds from communicable diseases. Like, oh my god! And and they it would infect blankets. This is what they did in the Fre- the French and Indian War. They they took blankets from infected patients with smallpox, and they would give them. They'd leave them out for the 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 then called American Indians or the Canadian Indians, and they would uh, have, you know, they would wipe them out. Well, actually, in Ontario, in the siege of the the American siege on Ontario and Quebec, they actually, the British uh, would send out people who had had smallpox across into the American camps uh, to spread smallpox. And sure enough, 50% of the population, the American troops, died and they had to retreat. So it is germ warfare. So when you have a large population, whether it be the southern border or anything else, coming in with diseases, you're more rampant to have epidemics. And in closed populations, just yesterday in on CNN Online, they reported a measles outbreak in Madagascar, which is an island off the east coast of Africa. And there's tens of thousands of new cases of measles and those children who are malnourished, who have poor immunity to start, are dying like flies. And it is sad because you think it's something's dead or even the polio virus. I think in Nigeria, some... And some because of uh, the war and stuff like that, but some populations feel that the uh, the polio virus was going to make them either sick or have bad things or had AIDS, and because of that reason, no one immunized. Whether in Madagascar, you have a breakdown in governments. When you have a population that <coughs> either chooses not to immunize or because of government failure or inavailability of the vaccine, you will see diseases come back that you should have eradicated from this earth. So there, there are a couple of you, you mentioned AIDS, and um, AIDS is a virus. Ebola is a virus, and I know that there are people at CDC, at NIH, who are working towards vaccines for these particular viruses, and and I'm, I'm not even sure of what other viruses are out there. Nika, Zika virus. Zika virus. That's right, and and so. <clears throat> will 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 we have the same success going forward trying to eradicate these diseases 
when when there is such pushback against the common diseases that that uh, we thought were once things of the past. Uh, I was a history major in college along with pre-med. I think history repeats itself in the fact that how foolish can you be? Uh, if the diseases go away and people become complacent, uh, I think that we will suffer that. Uh, I would say it's probably the one that would scare most people more than anything is Ebola because the death rate is so high. I think if you had Ebola sweep through uh, the United States, uh, you might have a different attitude of clamoring for vaccines. I think Ebola was sort of like what polio was, but Ebola has a lot of death. Um, sad to say that you almost need disease or rampant disease to make people appreciate what they can prevent. Uh, so hopefully we will not repeat ourselves. Edmund Burke, right? People, those who fail to uh, um, take take heed of history are doomed to repeat it. Amen. <clears throat> so, you know, we're we're closing in on the end of the show, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of give share some closing thoughts about this whole issue that you've taken the time to come in and talk about today. Well, um, when I see parents they when you have children your view on the world shifts uh it's not about you anymore it's about your kids and you'll do anything to protect them um you see the news in a different way if you see a a murder or a rape now it's your child that could have done that um and when you see that if you could prevent them from having some horrible things occur to them. Disease or hospitalization, lose a limb, illness or pain, or prevent cancer. Wouldn't you do that? Most parents, I would say, is, you know, kids, teenagers sitting in and they're having a hard time. They're pushing back against their parents. And I say, you know, nothing personal against me, but if someone walks in this room with a gun and says, put this on your head and you're going to pull the trigger on this patient, it's like, well, nothing. You're a nice person, but, you know, I'm not doing it, but I guarantee you someone who is your parent. We all would die for our children happily. Uh, so if you're willing to die for them, why can't you take another step and immunize them? Because then no one has to die. You are healthy, they're healthy, and your child will have a very productive and healthy life. It is really the gift not only giving them life, but giving them health and well-being. Well, you know, I think that um, you know, I, I couldn't say this better than than you have, and I know this. You, I could see that this affects you deeply, and and that's that's the the take home message I think that people need to know that pediatricians really care about their patients, and uh, they're not steering them down the wrong pathway when they when they recommend to their patients children to immunize them so so chip i want to thank you for taking the time to educate us today and to come in here and share with us your thoughts about this very uh, timely topic which i think is very important well thank you for inviting me i've enjoyed it and hopefully we can help make the nation and the world a better place and come back with us next time in the doctor's lounge thanks 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to Happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers timothy and the guys recently moved me and i am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving call timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience around town movers for that local or cross-country move timothy Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.